Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am once again joined by my co-host Jay. Hello. And I am, as usual, Eddie. And today it's time to load up those shotguns because it's hunting season. We are talking about four games today, all of which are first-person shooters. So we are going through 1993's Doom, 1994's Doom 2, 1996's Quake and Halo Combat Evolved from 2001. We will be doing these chronologically, not numerically, because otherwise it won't make any sense. (laughs) That was quite a mouthful for an opening there. Yeah, there you go. Getting getting all those in, especially given that we just refreshed the window and all the information disappeared (laughs) off the screen just before you had to do that, so... Yeah, I know. (laughs) We're consummate professionals, you know. (laughs) But yeah, we're uh, we're struggling technologically, aren't we, today? We've... Last week we said it was going to be the case for Sonic because it was episode 13 and it went swimmingly. And then today everyone's internet is on its arse and we're getting all sorts of lag. And I'm pretty sure I can hear myself in your headphones at some point, so we might, I might have to do some editing. But we're soldiering on, much like much like Master Chief. We're soldiering on and we're going to get, get these four games out of the way because none of them are games that I have massive affection for. I did... I have played all of them at some point. Doom, I do have a bit of a soft spot for because it was that very early era of gaming where you played any game you could get your hands on and for PC and just played it to death. So I have played Doom 1 a lot. The others all, sort of, well, Doom 2 sort of blurs into Doom 1 for me. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference, I don't think. And then Quake was one that I never really got into. I know a lot of people did, but for me it was just, I had a, I think I had a dodgy copy of it and I played it sporadically and that was about it. Yeah, I had Unreal Tournament instead of Quake. Um, yeah, so That was my dichotomy. And I was never really a big PC gamer. I think I had a PC that could just about run like encyclopedias, the online encyclopedias <laughs> that you used to be able to get on or on disc. Um, I think I had one that I had Magic Island Dizzy on. But other than that, <laughs> a bit of a difference between Magic Island Dizzy and Doom. But, uh, yeah, so Doom's not one. I mean, Doom 2016, I I love to bits. Uh, it's a great first-person shooter, but Doom 1 and Doom 2, I, I have very little in the way of affection for, really. I'm just not good at first-person shooters in, in general. I, some of them I enjoy, but I, being good at them is not a thing I am. I'm not patient enough for a lot of them. So, more recently, the Call of Duty ones, for example, I, I do get some fun out of playing them. But I am the kind of person that where if you see a person run past you on multiplayer, most people will loop back around and try and cut them off and shoot them. I will run out and chase after them and then get gunned down by like four other people that are following. So I've just no patience for the, this, especially ones that have stealth aspects in them. I just, no, I'd rather run in and shoot and, and hope that I can pick everything off before it, it takes me down. And that tends to work in your favour in Doom. I think that's probably the way it's designed to be played. It was before they, they introduced all the sort of stealthiness and that kind of thing to it, wasn't it? So you can get away with just running into a room with a shotgun and just blasting the hell out of everything and, and hoping you don't die. Yeah, it's very twitch reflexes for Doom, and you don't really have to aim at the thing you're wanting to shoot in Doom, it's got that sort of auto-lock that isn't auto-lock, so as long as you pull the trigger, you're guaranteed something on the screen's going to die. <laughs> that's that's about the best you can <laughs> yeah. hope for with Doom, really. Or you can key in the magic passphrase, which, unbelievably, I can't remember anymore, and his eyes go gold, don't they? And then you get god mode, and you can just go around and just annihilate absolutely everything, which was what I used to resort to after about a level and a half. 
Yeah, I I get that it was the best that we had at that time, and it was you know like one of the original first person shooters, but it wasn't technically fully three D. It was it was a weird, it was a bit side scrolly, but through a first person perspective. So when you panned your screen, it obviously it the screen the world rotated round you essentially. You were the fixed point. And the world sort of rotated around you, not like in a modern first-person shooter where you rotate and the world is fixed. The enemies weren't three D, really, were they? They were flat, from what I remember. So if you yeah. run around the side of them, they're like wafer thin, and then they turn to face you again. Yeah. It's... So rather than being like fully fleshed-out models, they were like JPEGs almost, weren't they? Like animated JPEGs. And if you were too quick to get around the side of them, you saw them for what they were, which was like a flat thing, and then they suddenly flicked into focus again and then you could kill them and they crumpled and and whatnot so yeah not not fully fully 3d but at the time something really impressive that that we'd not seen a lot of and that level of gore and that kind of thing in the game was probably quite new to me at that time so to to hit an enemy with a shotgun and see him pretty much like eviscerated and crumple into a heap of mush was a a fun one at the time because like oh not seen this before and I think, I can't remember what year I played Doom first. It wouldn't have been 93 when it came out, I don't think. But I'm pretty sure I'd probably played Duke Nukem 3D first. So I was already a little bit used to that level of gore because Duke Nukem 3D is immense in how many different ways you can kill something. And my my personal favourite was always crushing them in a door and then they sort of come up like a big <laughs> strand of awful <laughs> that just hangs in the doorway but yeah i think i was a little bit ingratiated to it but that doom really sort of hammered it home didn't it that games aren't just for kids anymore yeah i'm assuming it was an 18 when it came out because of the gore effects um if it wasn't i'd be surprised did it predate ratings possibly i i mean i, I would just it might have been around that time i don't recall it having a rating on on the box I would assume it was one of the things that made them go into uh, yeah, yeah. giving ESRB ratings for it. Potentially, yeah. I think it, it would be an 18, I reckon, back then. Now, probably not, because no. it's it's not realistic, is it, for what we've come to know as realistic in games. But back then, it was about as realistic as it got in terms of gore effects. So yeah, back then I would have said definitely would have been slapped with an 18 if it if the ratings were in place, which I can't remember if they were. But it was, for me, it was one of those that I got on like a, because it, it was released as shareware initially. So you got X amount of levels. I think it was like eight levels and anyone could get it for free. Or if you wanted all 10 levels, you had to send away for it by mail order. So this is how far back we're going now. It's a fill a form in and post it off. And then like a week later, you got a copy of the game to play. And I think whatever version I had must have been the shareware one because it came on a disc with about five or six other similar first-person shooters that I've never heard of before or since. I think one was like Redneck Rampage or something. That's the only other one that I've, I'm have i even remotely familiar with still. I think inexplicably Earthworm Jim was on that disc as well. No idea why. No idea why the connection is with that, but it was obviously some sort of dodgy disc that somebody had put together. But I think Doom was just the shareware version, so I wasn't technically breaking any laws playing that one. But yeah, weird weird way to release it, but that's how it was done back then. It was, here's 90% of the game for free. But if you like it and want to play the other 10%, you need to pay for it. And then they released Doom 2 in 
1994 as a normal retail release and then did Doom 1 as a retail release in 1995. So a really weird way of releasing the game, but it, it was sort of how it worked back then. You always saw loads of like mail order forms and stuff, didn't you, in the back of gaming magazines. Like, buy this game and we'll send it to you. And it usually come on floppy disks back then. I don't know if Doom ever did or whether it was straight to CD. I assume it was CD because it was quite a big game, wasn't it? Yeah. And to go back to the shareware thing, it, it's kind of depressing to see how far the games industry has come. To say that you used to get like two thirds of a game gratis with someone basically presenting it to you on a silver platter and go oh please sir if you wouldn't mind donating another 10 quid to play (laughs) the rest of this game for me whereas now it's like pay up front now because we've shown you a minute and a half of a pre-rendered trailer that tells you nothing about the gameplay but we're gonna charge you 249 quid for the collector's edition just because we hope you've enjoyed what you've seen that potentially isn't reflective of the actual final product but please give us the money now anyway yeah and then now they give you 80 percent of the game for full price and then gouge you for the other 20 percent a little <laughs> bit more yeah so so yeah, yeah. it is it's it's amazing, and like it, it was one of those things as a kid that was sort of good and sort of frustrating at the same time. Because I remember I had like a shareware version of was it Jazz Jack Rabbit? Do you remember that? Yep. It's like a Sonic the Hedgehog-y type running like platform, but we had a gun and stuff. But it was like two two levels out of five levels, and I played those two levels loads, but I could never like I couldn't buy something mail order at that age. So I was just there was no way for me to get the rest of the game. And there was actually a shop near us. I don't know if they got shut down for it or whether they just stopped doing it, but they used to have a rack of like budget games on this shelf. And looking back now, they were clearly printed off on a printer, these little cases with the discs in. And what they were doing is they were putting shareware versions of games onto burning them onto CDs or putting them on floppy disks, printing a cover off and selling them in the shop for like a fiver. And that was the most frustrating thing. So you went and bought one and then you're like, oh, this isn't the full game and I've just paid a fiver <laughs> for it. And like, But you didn't have internet then, so you couldn't download it yourself. So that was the, the best way to get it if you really wanted it. So Yeah, um, I mean, I, I do like the, the visual aesthetics of Doom. Um, they are quite distinct. You can walk into a room and you can instantly recognise what enemy is what, even at a distance yeah. in tiny 1993 crappy pixel vision. You can tell them distinctly apart. We will come on to Quake because when by the time you get to Quake, they, they are not distinct from one another at all because <laughs> they are all brown. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So Doom did have like quite a considerable um, graphic style, and and I kind of get it because they wanted to merge Dungeons and Dragons with things like the Evil Dead and Aliens. So they sort of grabbed these three things that they all really liked and just sort of mashed them together, and that's why you've got the really distinct demons from sort of Dungeons and Dragons mixed in with like the alien-esque ribcage aesthetics from like aliens and H.R. Geiger stuff. And then you get the chainsaw from things like Evil Dead and the visceral gore effects. So yeah, yeah. It, it is. I can see why um, Bucket List, uh, not Bucket List, the Retro Gamer magazine have said that it's an influential game. 
So yeah, just because we've not pointed it out, Doom 1 is number 8 in the list, so very influential game, according to the list. I mean, it's right up there. It's not as good as Tetris, allegedly, but it's right up there, um, which we, we will, I'm sure, dispute at some point. But it, yeah, it's it's nice to look at, even now it, it it looks dated, obviously, but it doesn't look bad. Like a lot of, we've said this before, a lot of games of around the PS1 era now look horrible, whereas when they came out, they would have looked revolutionary. Now they just look terrible. Whereas this looks of its time, but quite nice. The The backgrounds are nicely done. The enemies look really good. And like you say, they're all distinct from one another. The weapons... The, the weapon shots look really good. So like when you shoot the shotgun, it looks like you're shooting a shotgun. It's it's all nicely done. The one thing that's blown me away about doing one, though, going back to play it is, and I completely forgot this was a thing, you can't look up or down. No. There's no, like, axis to look up or down. You literally pan left to right, and that's it. So if you want to look up in the air at something, you physically can't do it. And I don't think it matters too much because there aren't any enemies that leave the plane that you're on are there but there are certain areas where you can see a ledge just in your peripheral at the top of the screen and you want to look up and see what's up there to see if it's worth going up there but you can't and that for me was like i can't even remember a time when you couldn't look up and down and get in a first person shooter but yeah it is it is a very i mean i'm assuming they were limited by technology at the time so Hmm. they were fixing your peripheral vision to the single plane because otherwise if you'd had the ability to look up or down it would have just caused it to crash because that <laughs> yeah. amount of free movement because if you think about it you've got a horizontal and a vertical and then you've also got diagonals in there as well mm. to if you're doing vertical as well as horizontal you've got to mix sort of diagonals in there as well which would have just i think it would have just melted most pcs at the time um, trying to populate all the pixels without lag, it had just burnt. I assume that there's lots of levels with no lid as well. So if you could look up beyond where they want you to look, you would just see nothingness hovering over the top of the level. Or So I assume that plays a role. I, I can't remember if you can in Duke Nukem 3D. I feel like you can look up. At... Yeah, you definitely can because there's enemies that fly on jetpacks and you have to aim up. To shoot yeah. at them, and I'm that. Did that come out around the same time? Um, I I thought it was like ninety seven, ninety eight. Duke Nukem. I may be wrong. So yeah, it may have been like a an evolution of them. Because there was the Duke Nukem side scrollers, wasn't there? Um, just checking now what year it came out. Ninety six. So yeah, it had a couple more years on it to to get that to get that down. I suppose. So it came out around the year that Quake did, by which point... They'd got up and down as well, yeah. So yeah. it looks like it was a... We need a bit more technological advancement to get this nailed down, which is fair enough. But yeah, it was. It, it just It's very jarring when you go back to it and you're like, oh, I want to look up there, I can't. And it's it's one of those things, like it always... It not surprises me, but I'm always a bit taken aback when I play a, an N64 Zelda game and realise I can't jump. Yeah unless I run to the edge of a platform, you always expect there to be a jump button and then there isn't. And it's just a built-in mechanic when you get to the end of a platform and it's sort of jarring and you go, why isn't there a jump? Like, there should be a jump. And it's the same with this. 
you feel like you should be able to pan up and down and have a look what's going on around you, but it's just not a mechanic that's in it. But yeah, other than that, I mean, small fault really compared to how influential that game was. They've programmed it for everything now. They? I mean, officially, it's had 26 different platform releases. Wow. So it's it was it's been available over the years on 26 different platforms from MS-DOS to Windows to Mac to Linux to PlayStation to Xbox to Switch to pretty much everything in between has had an iteration of Doom. But then you've got the these people who've done this whole will it run Doom thing where people have got it going on microwave clocks and any screen you can think of you can pretty much play Doom on now. So it's it's yeah it's it's not a complicated game obviously if they can get it to run on a calculator but it, at the time it was so groundbreaking that it just yeah it blew everyone away didn't it i know it did me yeah i mean they they weren't really into it for the story i'll i, I have to say that it software <laughs> did did not build a game around story and then make the gameplay afterwards it is literally all about the gameplay all the time and you and you i think you need to read the manual the old paper manual that we talked, we rallied for about <laughs> yeah. ten episodes ago, in order to get the understanding of what is going on. So, from purely playing a game perspective, you are literally dropped into a room and gone. There's a bad guy. There's a gun. Gunnots, and that—that's the amount yeah. of story you get from it, really. I think at some point they did a comic, didn't they? Like an accompanying comic to explain yeah. the story a bit more, which was probably. Part to explain the story and part to coin it in because Doom was going mad as a franchise. So why not chuck a comic out there as well? Um, And then obviously you've got the films, which the first film, probably the the less said about that one, the better. As much of a fan of The Rock as I am, I don't think I've seen many worse films. But it's there. It's a thing that exists. And if you really want to find out a little bit more about doom it's there i don't it doesn't tie in particularly well from what i remember but it's one of those things i think have they made another they've made other films haven't they since doom films which are yeah, marginally they've done, better they've done a couple of live action ones and then i think they've done some anime manga type ones as well which is more suited to doom's art style really and yeah. the over the top visceral gore is far more suited to anime and manga, because everything's over the top in anime and manga, more than a live-action film because the amount of gore needed for a live-action film, there'd be bits dripping from the ceiling constantly. (laughs) Um, And it would get probably banned. (laughs) The problem with a live-action film is, like you said, it's got its foundations in Alien, and there's already Alien films which are all, like, masterpieces so to make a film out of something that is derivative of alien into a film that's better than alien you're already fighting a losing battle so you, you're probably better off sticking to other mediums like manga and comics and and that kind of thing to get to get a better result anyway yeah and also if you think about things like um, event horizon that's a horror film that is about hell in space which is essentially <laughs> what doom is and Event Horizon does that so well. I mean, it's got Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill in it, so it's just got to be good, really. 
Um, but it does that sort of twist on the sci-fi genre so well that any sort of which Doom sort of cribbed off, really. Trying to do a film version of it when, like you say, you've got Aliens, which is the space marine runny shooty gun action versus the event horizon which is petrifying horror and hell in space you're not going to be able to match either or both to be honest with you so yeah it makes sense that the manga is probably more successful um but then you've got the sequels as well so speaking of the sequels coming on to doom 2 uh that is number 50 on the list so bit of a drop down and the information on Doom 2 in the 100 Games to Play Before You Die magazine, I won't say it's phoned in, but they may as well not have bothered. There's literally a paragraph that essentially says, it does everything Doom 1 does, but better. Boom, done. And that's pretty much it. So, I mean, from from my experience of it, playing it recently, the levels are bigger. Straight away, you notice that the levels are bigger. There's more exploration. There's more key cards to find to unlock doors and... It takes you longer to progress through a level. The The levels in Doom 1, for the most part, are fairly short. From what I remember, you can you can whiz from start to finish, just blasting your way through them, and you get to see the end of level screen quite a lot as you go through. Doom 2, not so much. They're a lot bigger. There's new enemy types in there that, that attack in different ways and are harder to take down, etc. You've got one new weapon, which... <laughs> Which you think from one to two they would have put a bit more effort in and put a few more weapons in, but your shotgun's now a super shotgun, and that's pretty much it on the weapon upgrade side. Uh, John Mar- John Romero actually says in the interview in this magazine that the shotgun's his favourite weapon in Doom One, so I assume that's why we got a super shotgun because he just went, oh, I want this, but better. So he did it for himself, not for anyone else. Uh, and then there's one. The Wikipedia says that there's one new power-up, but it doesn't say what it is or what it does or any information about it, and I can't remember. So there's one new power-up, but we don't know what it is. I think the new power-up was the Megasphere, and I cannot remember for the life of me what it did, but I know <laughs> for some reason that is sticking in my head, Megasphere, and I don't know why. But but yeah, like you say, there's, there's very little progression from Doom to Doom 2. Not that there needed to be, to be honest with you. I know that they had a lot of multiplayer editions that were functioning straight out the box, essentially, because multiplayer mm. for Doom 1 was added on after the fact. Um, but Doom 2 came with sort of like a fully functioning multiplayer element to it. But yeah, I don't. It, this is another one of those entries where I don't get why they put them on as separate entries and gave them two separate yeah. scores, whereas they could have just said Doom 1 and Doom 2, you get this because you are influential. However, there is that little difference between you. <laughs> yeah, why exactly. Bother? I mean, there was a year of development between them. I mean, what what can you do in a year? Do you know what I mean? Other than take what you've already got and just polish it up and and make it a bit bigger, which is essentially what they did. So there's not a lot to say for us on Doom 2, really, that we've not already said about Doom 1. The the interesting thing I found was that the Doom 1 and Doom 2 have been released as recently as 2019, like a full paid-for version, when they released it for the Switch. And I'm like, that's like, that's crazy to think that, like, 2019... For a game that was made in 1993, is still getting paid releases even now. With that being said, then, so you said it's been on 26, it's been released 26 times. That is once a year, every year since it was made. That is insane. 
It's 26 different platforms, so it could be more than yeah. that if they've released it more than once for each platform, which I assume they have. Um, so, yeah, more than one a year, potentially, which is crazy. That is like, insane. <laughs> one, of the, one of the stats that I saw, because they, there was loads of stats about how many potential people had played it in the first few years and how many people had actually bought it and stuff, but the one that stood out for me, because this isn't... They they put this stat out. I think it was on Wikipedia. I looked at a few websites. Like, it's impressive. But when you actually break this stat down, it's not. So it was it was installed on more PCs in 90, at the end of 1995 than Windows 95. But that's not really an impressive stat because Windows 95 had been out for a year and that had been out for three years. So it was obviously installed on more... <laughs> on more computers than that already before Windows 95 came out. So that's not like an impressive stat, even though it sounds like it is. Yeah, and I'm also sure that between that time, we had Acorn computers that didn't run Microsoft, and we also had Apple computers which didn't run Microsoft. So, yes, brilliant, wonderful. (laughs) It's just not a good stat, is it? It's like like going, oh, there's... There was more PS4s in the world than PS5s after one week of PS5 being released. It's it's not a, a like a relevant stat, but they were like yeah. proper singing and shouting about it like it is. I was like, no, that's that's not as good as you think it is when you're saying that kind of thing. I think that's Doom pretty much covered off. I mean, do you want to rate them at the end, all four, or do you want to rate them as we go? Yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll just do all four. So I think it's worth mentioning as well because we've we've grouped Doom One, Two, and Quake because they're all made by is it ID Software or ID Software? ID Software. ID Software. So also made by ID Software was Wolfenstein, which hasn't made the list, but I actually prefer to Doom. So it came out in nineteen ninety two, a year earlier, and it just for me it seems like a more fleshed out game. Like there is a full storyline in the game. It is a little bit easier to to work out what you're doing. I mean, I said to Eddie before we started recording the podcast, this will be like the third show in 14 where we've talked about Nazis. We're not doing it on purpose. <laughs> it just so happens to be that they, they crop up in these games. Um, and I'm sure soon we won't mention them ever again. But yeah, Wolfenstein 3D is heavily sort of influenced by Nazi Germany. So you're a one-man army fighting through a German stronghold to get to... Um, I think it is Robo Hitler at the end of it. It's isn't Mecha it? Hitler, you... yeah, Mecha Hitler. That's it. So, yeah, they they took a bit of uh, a liberty with that one and had a bit of a laugh with it. But I suppose if there are any enemies that people don't mind you slaughtering, it is the Nazis. So it was a fair punt with that one. It's up there with demons, isn't it? It's it's one of those <laughs> that's not even morally questionable. You just kill them. <laughs> yeah. Just kill them, basically. And it's it's weird to if you parallel how Wolfenstein's progressed and how Doom has progressed as a series, because you both get like Wolfenstein and Doom 1 and 2, both really good games. Wolfenstein was the remake uh, was like a 2009 game on like PS3 and Xbox 360, which was crap. Around about the same time that Doom 3 came out, which wasn't great. And then you had the renaissance in like 2016 where you had Wolfenstein, 
The New Order, which was fantastic, and you had Doom 2016, which again was fantastic and a complete return to form for the pair of them. So they've just sort of gone alongside one another, peaked and troughed (laughs) at exactly the same rate. It's great. But we've not had a Wolfenstein 3D film. No. <laughs> Which probably would fare better, to be fair. You, there's plenty of like source material to base that one around. We have had other weird, Nazi, spin offy, first person shootery esque uh, films, though, <laughs> that you could probably just slap the Wolfenstein label on and go, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it has been done to death. What was that series they did where Hitler won? Uh, Man in the High Tower. That's the one, yeah. I've, I've not watched that one, but I mean, all this talk of Nazis over the past few episodes, it, I might stick it in my playlist. It's meant to be quite good, isn't it, I think? That's really good. And there was a, B- a British series a couple of years back called SSGB, and it was what would have happened if the Germans had won the war and they'd conquered the UK. And it's about... Mm. A man who's sort of working on from the inside to try and bring down the German um, echelons of power from the UK side of things. So it is quite interesting, but yeah, it's not as it's not gory and it's not a first person shooter esque mm. thing. It's quite political, but still good intrigue to it. So there you are, listeners. Something for you to go and try and find on uh, BBC iPlayer. <laughs> a few a few Nazi programs to tie in with the Nazi <laughs> games that we're talking about. But that's it done now. No more no more Nazis for this episode or future episodes, hopefully. I, I can't think of anything else in the list that might bring that out of us. They don't appear in Ocarina of Time. <laughs> at least at no point have we glorified them. So I'm, oh. I'm happy enough with that. After, after you semi-glorified um, Japanese children having seizures in, in a couple of episodes ago, I don't want to get into that situation again. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> we had to employ a robotic voice to disclaimer that one. <laughs> but yeah, that's Doom Doom covered. Obviously there's more Doom to talk about, but not in this episode, so we may do a Doom special at some point uh, just to talk about the newer ones because the newer ones I still don't get on with them that well cuz first person shooter not my thing, but I I did enjoy them um apart from yeah, the 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 colour palette on the first one, when you're out in the desert and it's just all really bright oranges just burning into your retina. I wasn't a huge fan of that bit. But other than that, did enjoy the new one. So yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll be back to talk about them at some point. So I'm not personally going to have much to say about Quake because as you said, Unreal Tournament was always the game that I had and tried my best to play on 56k dial-up internet to no avail. So I didn't really touch Quake that much. But Quake, for the record, is number 88 in the list. Again, not much information in the magazine about it. But I think, from what I understand of it, it was Doom with a worse colour palette and much more online multiplayer. Yeah, essentially. Um, So id Software was split into essentially two groups of people. One was run by John Romero who did Doom and Doom 2, and then you had John Carmack, who made Quake. And there are little nods to one another in their respective titles, so that in Quake there's a a lightning gun that kills you if you're stood in water and you fire it, and I think that's kind of a bit of a nod to John Romero, because he came up with loads of quirky... uh, guns and weapons and stuff like that in his uh, subsequent titles after Doom. Hmm. But yeah, the, the palette for Quake is just brown. It's all it is. Brown buildings, brown enemies. Um, they're not very... 
distinct, particularly not from the background because it's just like multiple shades of brown. Um, so it's brown castles, brown houses, <laughs> brown villages, brown castles again, and just yeah, um, it's just a constant sea of brown. Um, but I didn't realize it was also published by Bethesda. Oh, quite. No, neither did I. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, Bethesda Softworks was responsible for it as well. There's probably callbacks to it that we don't even realize exist in Fallout or something. Probably. I bet there's little hidden bits of text or weapons or something that... Was Quake the the one that had the railgun? Was that the first time that there was a railgun? Yeah, you had a railgun and a super railgun, which again, I think is a nod to John Romero mm. because of the gu- shotgun and the super shotgun. Because the railgun was the one that just ploughed through anything in front of it, wasn't it? Like a, It just bang yeah. and it just shot through everything. I remember that being like a a thing at school when... Everyone was playing these games like, oh, you should see this gun in Quake and it can just shoot through everything in its path. And everyone was like blown away by how good it was. Because um, up until that point, you just got the BFG and Doom, hadn't you? Which was which was like the pinnacle of guns at the time. Yeah. And apparently it was also, th- there was a reference to Trent Reznor and the Nine Inch Nails. I think <laughs> they did the soundtrack to it and Trent Reznor did the voice acting for the main character in Quake as well which I mean credit to him if they're going to reach out to someone they may as well just pay him for the lot really so it did have a lot they did put they clearly put money into it then to like oh yeah try and get it in it and I don't think particularly when it came out it did particularly well but it definitely got like a huge cult following didn't it that that still play it to this day and still release map packs and, and all that kind of thing right up until the present, which, same for Doom. You can get all sorts of skins for Doom, can't you? Simpson skins and God knows what else. There's like pretty much everything. There's an alien skin I've seen, and I think they've done similar with Quake. So it's it's got its fans, and I can see why, but for me it was just online multiplayer shooters are like the bottom of the list for me and what I enjoy playing. There's too much pressure there's too many kids shouting abuse at you and and swearing and God knows what for me to to enjoy it. I'm just I'm a bundle of nerves when I play online shooters, especially team ones with people I don't know. So yeah, Quake was never one that appealed to me. And and like I say, Unreal Tournament, I played a little bit because I wasn't too bad at that. But no, I've not I've not got a massive fondness for Quake. I'm sure I had it at some point, but it, it wouldn't be in my top hundred. Let's put it that way. I I like couch co-op and couch multiplayer. So same console, mm. same screen, like uh, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark and stuff like that. Love first-person shooter when it's done couch co-op, couch multiplayer. But yeah, like you say, I just can't deal with people that spend from when they wake up to when they go to sleep playing a video game, camping, playing online multiplayer, I spawn, I get shot in the face. I'm assuming it's because I am. I just need to get good, basically. <laughs> um, but I, 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 And then the whole racial slur thing comes in with it, and they're all... The homophobia just sprouts out from uh, everywhere, and you say, oh, for God's sake, this, how is this fun? This cannot possibly be fun. Well, what I saw the other day as well in... Was it in a magazine or was it... No, it was online because I bought... Going off on a tangent again, as we always do. I bought some... um, It wasn't protein powder, but it's like meal replacement powder because I've started having them for lunch instead of 
like making a sandwich or something it's just easier to make one of those and there's a company called ctrl that do these like gamer meal replacements and they're beautiful some of them are gorgeous there's a birthday cake one that tastes absolutely fantastic so when i'm trying to avoid sugar they don't actually have that much sugar in them so i have them instead of an actual milkshake and the website that i bought them off of now spams me with emails for all the other crap that they sell and and they're like a gaming peripherals website and they sent me an email for this thing the other day which basically lets you cheat at call of duty and, and whatnot so it's like a little computer box it's like 200 quid you plug it in between your controller and the Xbox or the PC or the PlayStation, whatever you're playing it on. Program some codes into it, like Game Genie style from back in the day. And it like stops any kickback on guns or it auto reloads them so you don't have to press reload. Or there's loads and loads of little hacks that like it, it implements into the game. And people are the like the people running the servers can't notice them because it's like you're doing it on the controller. Yeah. but it's doing it for you, like it auto-targets and stuff. And I'm like, what is the point? What is the point spending 200 quid on this thing to cheat at a game that you're not that good at, evidently, if you need one of these boxes to play? For what end? So that you can win a few games online, like underhandedly. I just, I don't get it. And that puts me off wanting to play, knowing that there are people out there doing this. Yeah, I mean, it, particularly seen as they release a Call of Duty every year. It's like you're paying £200 to get good at a game that you're only going to play for a year. There are people that literally play, have played Breath of the Wild since its release and are still finding new things out about it, haven't cheated and have continually played that game for the last five or six years because they haven't released a new one up until Tears of the Kingdom, which is great. But then you're paying, like I come back to, you're paying £200 for a non-continuous game that you are going to replace in the space of a year. Well, to be fair, I think you can, I think you can reprogram this device. So you could use it for other games and stuff. Like I think you probably could use it for Breath of the Wild to like assist gameplay in that. But which, fair enough, if you're struggling with an aspect of it, if there was a code to make weapons not break in breath of the wild i'd pay 200 quid for it and then i'd actually enjoy that game (laughs) so i can sort of see it for that but when you're doing it in competitive online multiplayer to screw somebody else that is also playing the same game as you to get to the same end i just don't get it i just and that's what puts me off like what's the point me playing it and potentially getting any good at it if somebody can pay 200 quid and immediately be better than me at it for no for no reasons you know what i mean and same with like buying like pay to win games, I suppose, but this is just one step further. And I just don't get what, what the means to an end is because if you get that good using that device, even if you end up in tournament games, you can't use it there because they'll see it and then you won't be able to use it. So even if you used it to get good enough to get into tournaments, you'd just get destroyed as soon as you went into a tournament without it. So I just don't get it at all. And I looked at it and I was sat looking at it on my phone and I'm like, what is the purpose of this and who buys these things? But yeah, it just that baffled me. I know massive tangent again, but yeah, online multiplayer cheating, I just don't get. Like, fair enough if you find an exploit that's within the game and you use that. So I think there was one Call of Duty where there was a particular bush that if you hid in it, you got perfect view to snipe everyone off and they couldn't see you and it was really hard to figure out where you were, even on the kill cams and stuff. Perfect. That's an in-game exploit that somebody's figured out and you're just using it to your advantage. But don't buy a bloody... 200 quid computer thing that 
reduces kickback and auto aims for you and stuff. Because what's the point? You may as well just watch somebody else playing at that point. Yeah, um, I, I've sort I sort of understand the the old cheat cartridges that you used to get when you yeah, used yeah. to unlock everything, but yeah, I think it sort of takes some of the enjoyment out of it really if you buy something to just cheat at the start particularly at the start of a game it's okay if you do it once you've finished it you've played through the storyline but to max your level out from the start so nothing's a challenge and you're just going through one shot in everything you're not getting the intended gameplay experience um you're not getting the difficulty curve and yeah i think those like cheat devices play different roles throughout progression of consoles so Back in the day when it was like Game Genie for Mega Drive, Game Gear, that kind of thing, you didn't really get safe saves on cartridges, did you? Especially not for Game Gear. So if you unlocked anything on a Game Gear, you could only use it until you turned it off and then you had to go through unlocking it all again. So for me, getting a Game Genie back then was I can unlock stuff and then use it to actually play the game rather than spend an hour unlocking it and then not want to carry on playing it with the thing that I've just unlocked. So back then, I think it was to get progression quicker. It was almost like a save state. Like, I've unlocked this previously. I'm using it to open a save state. Then when you got them on PlayStation, it was those Explorer cards, wasn't it? And they were more to do stuff in games that you couldn't do. So it wasn't necessarily cheating. It was change the character models or change clothing or open an area that was locked off, which would be buggy as hell because it was never meant to be accessed but now you can go into it and that kind of thing so i remember i used an explorer cartridge on resi 2 because i was getting frustrated with it because i'd just i'd got to a point where i'd saved and didn't have any ammo and then i just couldn't do anything because i I couldn't fight back anything so i got an explorer an explorer cartridge or explorer cartridge and used it on that to give myself more ammo so i could carry on but it did something weird with the claire scenario of the game because i put these cheats on so i couldn't die and then you know the bit where you meet shelly in the lift she just wasn't there the lift was empty and the dialogue still ran but the character model wasn't there (laughs) and then when you came out she obviously wasn't there to follow and that was it i couldn't do anything else so it like completely broke the game for me on that one. So I had to restart without the cheats on. But yeah, I think things have progressed that much that now it is just cheating for the sake of it online against other people. It just seems tight. Like you can use it for FIFA and stuff to get like quicker passes and better accuracy on shots. And yeah. it just, it doesn't sit well with me, that kind of thing. Because it's like, as a player who's playing legitimately, what's the point? Yeah why would I bother playing this if the person I'm playing is always going to be better than me because they're playing it in like god mode with all these cheats on so yeah didn't appreciate that and I won't be buying one in case you can't tell (laughs) but yeah we didn't have that back in the day did we it was pure skill for Quake if you were playing that online it was yeah and some people just got really good at it really quickly and then you got dropped into a server with them again there was no point playing it but that was because of legitimate reasons yeah, it's um, it's a bit like uh, StarCraft. You, there is literally, if you want to play StarCraft or st- the expansion packs or the sequels online, there is literally no point. The Koreans love StarCraft, and if you go online, there is you can just start building your base and you start playing online multiplayer, build your base, build your base, building your resources, and then you just get swarmed by this one Korean player that's just sat there and just clicked create Zerglings and just swamps you because they play it all the time. 
that's that's their sort of relaxation and their downtime. They f- adore StarCraft. And yeah, there yeah. is just no point playing online at all. But that is because of skill. That is not because of cheating. I do wonder about, because, spoiler for the list, um, Warcraft's on here. Now, we both discussed this because neither of us play it, do we? And neither of us particularly have the inclination to start playing it in case it takes over our lives. So we're struggling a bit on that one. We're hoping we can find a Warcraft expert to come on and talk with us about that one. But that, I imagine, is much the same. Like, if you joined it today, there are people on there that have put their entire life into it. And I don't know, Does it? I assume there is like player versus player combat as well as working together. So is it just that I'm going to join it and then absolutely get annihilated by somebody who's been playing it since 1999 that has all the weapons and... See, I think there is... uh, Warcraft has more of a benevolent side to it because there are a lot of players who have been playing since 1999 that appreciate that there are people today that want to start playing it. So they will go Mm. around and they'll join guilds with them as higher levels so they can get them leveled up and they can get them at the highest level gear and stuff like that. So, yeah, there is more of a give and take with Warcraft, whereas Starcraft is just purely competitive online multiplayer and it's just Mm. annihilation constantly. (laughs) Right. I think that covers Quake because we've not really... We didn't have a lot to say about it ten minutes ago. I think we've done well to... (laughs) To still be on it now, even though we didn't really talk about Quake for most of those 10 minutes. Uh, so that just leaves Halo Combat Evolved. Yes. Not one that I'm massively familiar with because I didn't have an Xbox. I was PlayStation up until Xbox 360-ish, like midway through. So I never had the first Halo. I've played it briefly and I've played it in the various compilation remasters that they give away on Xbox Live every so often. But I don't have this sort of nostalgia for it when it came out. Again, first-person shooters, not my thing. Wasn't one that would have ever drawn me in. Even if I'd have had an Xbox, I'd have probably had it, but I wouldn't have gone crazy for it. But I can see why people like it, just from the little bits that I've played, because it is, even the first one, very polished offering. Something that you'd not seen a lot of at that point in gaming. The way that they implemented it with the levels and, and the, the sheer size of them, I think, isn't it? That's one of the things that sets it apart. Yeah, it um, it sort of took your standard grey-brown military shooter and just went, hey, what if we make this fun? Um, so a lot of <laughs> military shooters at that time were... World War Two, World War One, storming the beaches at Normandy, again and again and again and again and again, and it was just repetitive. Whereas I think Bungie saw what was happening with the first-person shooter genre at the time and went, "Do you know what? Let's make this absolutely kick-ass." And they do what you have to do when you're going to make something kick-ass, and that is take it to space. Because going to space is the culmination of everything, basically. <laughs> when a series goes into space, it's peaked, creatively speaking. Apart from Mario. Apart from Mario, where it just hit a flat line and dipped off again. Um, but yeah, so from when you look at the storyline for Halo, that, that brings out the obsessive in certain people. Um, there are some people that get proper into the lore about um, the background of Halo and... Uh, the rings and the uh, covenant and stuff like that, um, but yeah, it was a good game even for its time. It was, and even now you could go back and play it 
I'd recommend the remastered version, but just for the nice, nicer, shiny graphics. But you could still comfortably go back and play Halo Combat Evolved now and still have fun with it. I think it it fit the aesthetic of the Xbox world, didn't it? Because you've got this big old chunky console, you've got this big old chunky pad, and then you've got this big old chunky first person space shooter game with a with a is he a silent protagonist? No, he isn't actually, um, which is unusual, really. He he does talk, does uh, Master Chief. Um, but again, big chunky boy, so fits with the console. <laughs> but no, it, it all tied in really well, and I think it was... I don't know if it was planned to be the Xbox like mascot, but obviously he became the Xbox mascot as soon as that came out, didn't he? And was it a launch title? Yeah, it was... It was... It was released as a launch title. They started designing it in 1997, really. Um, and then they decided that it was going to be the launch title for the Xbox. But yeah, when when you think Xbox as a brand, it is ultimately synonymous with Halo and Master Chief, mm. which as, as far as consoles go these days, not many consoles actually still have a mascot, really. I, mean, I wouldn't know what to say for Sony. Not a singular one. No. Ratchet and Clank, maybe. Yeah. It seems to be like Spider-Man at the minute, doesn't it? Because they yeah. got the exclusivity for that. But you wouldn't class that as theirs. I mean, there's that Astro Bot thing that does all the tutorials uh... and stuff. But it's not really a mascot in the way that Sonic and Mario and, and things like that were, is it? So, yeah. Yeah, and then Xbox, still Master Chief, if anything. But yeah, they seem to have moved away from that. And then you've got... Switch, which is just still Mario or Pokemon or Link or Samus or whichever one you choose to choose for your primary mascot out of those, Kirby, the list goes on. But yeah, just to just point out, Halo is 24 on the list because I don't think we've mentioned that. So again, high up, it's it's well regarded in the list. Probably rightfully so, I would say. It, did, it, it changed things up quite a bit, didn't it? I assume there were quite a few imitators came after after halo I, I i don't know what year what year did the first mass effect come out quite a bit after um that because mass effect was xbox 360 so it's like five mm. six years at least i feel like there's a bit of halo in mass effect yeah so it's obviously had influential reach to that level and then there's probably some games out there that literally just rip it off i assume yeah i think it because of Halo Combat Evolved, you ha- it did coin the phrase uh, sort of Halo clones. So we used mm. to call first-person shooters Doom clones back in the day because that was the only thing we had to compare it to. And Halo Combat Evolved was that influential. Everything that was a first-person shooter, non-military first-person shooter, was dubbed a Halo clone. And the next big game of the year was always dubbed the Halo Killer. So for three games, so you had Halo 1, 2, and 3, every year that a game came out that would be sort of nominated for Game of the Year, potentially, or got a massive amount of hype behind it, they dubbed it the Halo Killer. And none of them ever came close. Halo was always, like, top two or three games of the year it came out, categorically. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And I feel like influenced probably by Doom itself... In certain aspects, I mean, you've you've got the fact it's in space, which is the obvious one. But then the Master Chief helmet with the face in it is sort of reminiscent of the little Doom 
guy at the bottom, isn't it? When and it just yeah, there's I feel like there's the similarities there as well. Yeah, particularly in the Doom two thousand and sixteen uh, release, that is so similar to Master Chief, the armor, the face, the face guard, and stuff like that. It's so similar, and I'm assuming that was their original vision for him anyway. Um, It was just limited by the times and the uh, technology that they had at the time, but. Because, I mean, on the cover, he's in a green suit of armour, isn't he, with a helmet and yep. visor on? Yep. I mean, that doesn't make it into the game, I don't think. In the game, he's not got a helmet, has he, in his little icon at the bottom. It's just his head. But, yeah, the yeah. cover art is basically like a really, really, really early draft of Master Chief yeah. on the front of Doom. So it must have had its influence there as well. But, yeah, I, w- I wish Halo was one that I could get more on board with. Because I know the storyline's stellar and the gameplay stellar. It's just I've never clicked with it, with it being first person shooter, etc. So um, it might be one that I go back to. If I can sit down and play through the collection, because I've got the Halo collection, maybe we can do a special or a, a spin off episode on Halo. And, and once I've actually gone through it, we can talk more about it because it is one that I'd like to get into. It's just finding the time again at the minute. I'm neck deep in Dead Island 2 just trying to get through that but I'm not I'm making slow but steady progress on it uh but yeah I've got that many other bits and bobs to do that console time is at a premium I mean I took my switch deck away with me um on holiday thinking I'll be able to get some gaming on this and then buggered all my neck up so I couldn't play anything (laughs) because I couldn't stand to sit and look down at the console for too long so yeah I did I did actually one thing we completely separate to to do and everything. In fact, let's do the scores and then I'll come back to this um, because it is completely unrelated to this, but it's something that we noticed and I wanted to bring up. So let's whiz through the scores quickly. Doom 1. I'd have to say high 70s, really, because they've not included Wolfenstein and we can't do anything about that. If it was Wolfenstein in here, I would say that that was like the progenitor of all first-person shooters, hands down that sort of kick-started the whole first-person shooter genre. However, as it stands, we're stuck with Doom. So, yeah, I'd say high 70s, early 80s for how massive an impact it was. So we've got Bioshock at 79. Would you put it above... I don't think I'd put it above Bioshock, personally. Like, from a from an influential level, yes, probably. Deserves to be higher than that. But from a how much fun I've had to play with it, maybe lower i don't know i've played doom a lot more than i've played bioshock so it's a difficult one to say i think it's it's completely separate levels really because like you say Mm. it's doom's more influential i've had less fun with doom and bioshock has the storyline that sticks with you and i think bioshock sticks with me more on a personal level than doom ever has so I think for that yeah. reason and that reason alone, it would probably have to go below Bioshock, not solely on how influential it was. Should we give it a 78? Yeah. Just one behind it. I think if we were going to say that it's influence and influence alone, it would be up there with Pokemon in like the 90s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Doom 2, I mean, it does everything better, but I have less memory of it and less nostalgia towards it than the first one i think this is one of those where we have to give it just the same. lump them together 
lump yeah. them together because it's there's that little difference between them. It would be unfair on one or the other to give it better. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Stick them both in at 78. Quake. Now, the bucket list doesn't rate them that high at 88. What we got? Portal 1 and 2 got a 70. I'd say like mid-60s, early 60s, because mm. it's not influential other than the multiplayer aspect. So the online multiplayer aspect was probably very heavily influential from Quake's perspective. Um, but in terms of everything else, the art's uninspired, the story's pretty uninspired, the weapons are okay, but other than that... At the end of the day, this is our opinion, isn't it? And I don't rate it. I don't know about you. It's never a game that I would choose to play. No. It was never a game I'd choose to play. I'd I'd be tempted to stick it at 60. Yeah, fine. Give it a 60, because that puts it below Ico by one point. Yeah, that's fair. Which I think is fair in terms of us playing it. Uh, Halo, I'm going to defer to you on this one, because I don't really have enough memory of it to really give a proper view of where it should go. I mean, based on everything I know about it, I'd probably put it low 80s, but I'm quite happy to defer to you on this one as to where it goes. I would probably say that it's like 80, 81, purely because of the fact that it spawned a generation, really. It spawned a generation of gamers, Halo, and it coined so many phrases and... Everyone referred to, like I say, the Halo clone and the Halo killer. And it's it's been going since 2001. And it's had a couple of wobbles in the middle, but each main game installment has been solid, both multiplayer and single player. And that is the thing I can say. Halo multiplayer, even from the first one, has been a barrel of laughs. Because most people just go rocket launchers, and that is the only weapon you're having. And it's four to 16 people running around launching rockets at each other. And it's just, it's more fun than stuff like Call of Duty. Far more fun. So with those ratings in the bag, looping back to what I've just mentioned just there, um, while I was away, I was playing a Zelda game called Oracle of Ages, which it's almost like Pokemon, isn't it? In that there's two games that are very similar. Was it Oracle of Ages and I can't remember the name of the other one. Oracle of Seasons. Oracle of Seasons, yeah, that's it. And the, from what I understand, they're practically the same game, but you can link cable them together somehow or something along those lines. Anyway, I, ch- I chose Ages just arbitrarily, started playing that one. And there's a bit in it where you go in a house and there's a hand that comes out of a toilet asking for paper, <laughs> which if you've listened to our Majora's Mask episode is something that happens in Majora's Mask. And I was really taken aback by it. I was like, what? Is this where it came from? So I took a picture of the screen and sent it to Eddie, and it was something you'd never seen before either, was it? So it's just bizarre, and and I've, I've looked into it, and actually Oracle of Ages came out after Majora's Mask ah. by a year, so it's more a callback to Majora's Mask than it is the other way around, which is sad because I was really hoping the Majora's Mask one was just going to be this really obscure callback to a Game Boy game that neither of us have played. Oh, which which is weird because I play out of the two of them. I picked Oracle of Ages as well. Yeah, and I don't remember the hand in the toilet because I was a massive fan of Majora's Mask back then. I'd have probably mm. gone, oh my god. But yeah, it's really strange. But like I, once I got the strength band or bracelet or whatever it's called, I pushed a pot into the hole because there's a little pot next to it, and that's not what he wants because it just goes oof. 
because if you've like dropped a pot on his head, and then it just keeps asking for paper again. So I'm assuming at some point I can find some paper to pass down to him. But yeah, really, really strange inclusion in both games. Like I wasn't expecting to ever see it in a different game, and then there it is in that one. Uh, yeah, it was a really, mind you, Majora's Mask was really, really weird anyway, and I'm sure we'll end up doing a full spin-off about the entire Zelda series, really. Mind you, we'll have gone through yeah. most of them by the time we get to the end of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Bucket, Bucket List Gamers uh, podcast anyway, um, but I am currently playing Tears of the Kingdom, so yeah. Is it any good? I still got weapon degradation. <laughs> <sighs> I'm out. Can you at least fix them? Yes, you can upgrade them, you can fix them, you can merge them with other weapons to give them increased durability and stuff like that. It mm. it, it is really good. I am addicted. Um, however, there have been some shortcoming, uh, some short-sightedness on behalf of the development team because you literally have a an ability to construct things using a sort of a phantom hand thing that you can pick up items and glue them together. And what they didn't anticipate players to do was to be able to pick up Koroks, those little things that there were 999 of in the previous <laughs> game, bare back, and stick them to rudimentary crucifixes and implant <laughs> them into the ground and set them on fire en masse. <laughs> there have been some horrendous things on TikTok and Instagram of people just creating horrific death machines for Koroks. How do they not predict this? Like, Do they not know I'd... the world we live in anymore? <laughs> I know. I thought you were going to say people were making rude structures out of them, but that's the, there weird. is there is a giant man with a a flaming phallus um, that people <laughs> have created out of blocks and panels of wood. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Does bless him. Does that not like negate the climbing mechanic though? If you can build something to climb up somewhere with or is it done in a way so you can't really use it in certain areas and whatnot you can use it um you have to have objects that you can pick up and move for a start so Mm. a lot of it's like planks of wood um and bits of two by four and stuff like that and rocks that you can pick up but yeah you there is another ability that allows you to essentially swim up through rock so if there's a an overhang that's quite near to you above you you can use the ability and you literally swim up through the rock and you appear at the top of whatever it is you were swimming through so there's a lot more traversal um available to you now and there's there's loads of additions and it is a solidly good game but it still sticks in my throat that they haven't got rid of weapon degradation i will probably get it the fact that you can at least repair them and you don't just lose them do you, I mean, if they degrade to nothing, do you lose them or can you? Yes. You keep like yeah, the bro- yeah. You do. So you've got to keep an eye on it and keep them yeah. like in good nick, otherwise you'll lose them, right? Yeah, I and you can then. you then fuse like um, bits of granite with them to make them stronger and increase the durability. But once it shatters in that form, it's gone again. So right, I don't know. Then I mean, I've got that much to play. It's. It it pains me that there's a new Zelda out and I don't really want to play it because normally a new Zelda means I really I'm like getting it day one and playing it. But this after Breath of the Wild, I just I know everyone says it's a masterpiece and I can understand some of that, but there's just bits in it that I really hate and I just can't get past them to enjoy it. And I've I've played it for hours. Don't get me wrong, I've probably put like twenty 
25, 30 hours into it. But I just don't feel like I've done much and I didn't particularly enjoy it, whereas Ocarina and Majora, I'm glued to it and I can't wait to fire it up again and play it more. And it just, yeah, it pains me that there's a Zelda game that's brand new out and I'm just not that interested. Yeah, I saw all the reviews and I saw all the gameplay and I was like, I, I was going to hold off on it and look at getting it in towards Christmas sort of thing. And I saw all the footage and I was like, I have to get it. I have to get it. And I have to say, I'm not as impressed as I thought I would be. It is a good game. And so was Breath of the Wild, like you say. But um, it's not my kind of Zelda. Yeah, exactly. My kind of Zelda is Ocarina, Majora, and like A Link to the Past, A Link Between Worlds. Yeah. Um, The other one they did, the remake they did for Switch recently. Oh, Skyward uh, Sword. No, no, no. The the bizarre Game Boy one where it's oh. got like chain chomps and goombas in it. Link's, Link's Awakening. Awakening. Yeah, they're my yeah. kind of Zelda games. So this one, it's just it's it's one of those for me. They've overcomplicated it. I don't want it to be this complicated and this open. I I lose focus really easily with it, and I end up doing stuff that I don't need to do and just wandering around for hours on end. Whereas like. Ocarina, you're a bit more focused. You you sort of have to go and do things to do other things. So yeah, that, that's why I, it's not my kind of Zelda, I suppose. But I, I will get it eventually because, and I may as well get it now as later because uh, Nintendo first party games don't reduce in price, do they? So it's going to no. cost me the same now as it will in five years' time, I expect. But no, it might be one I pick up second hand just to say that I've got it. But I'm yeah. not clamoring for it. Like you say, I prefer tightly crafted, story focused, and the the problem is everything seems to be geared towards open world, just so that they can say they've done it open world. Mm. And the problem is, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Twilight Princess still manage to make their world feel big, without yeah. it being open world and do whatever you want in whatever order you want, and kept it tightly structured, fantastic storyline. And temples, I don't know when we got to the point where temples were a boring thing and we just decided to replace them all with these 30-second shrines. I don't like that the you shrines. Do. That's another thing that I really yeah. don't enjoy about them. They're just, it, it's all right the first time, and then you go into another one and it's, oh, smash the ball into the hoop or fight this robot. Oh, like the same one as I did 10 minutes ago in a different location, but a bit harder. Okay. And it's like, no, this isn't a fun challenge it's the same thing over and over again just with slightly more difficulty where i'm gonna to have to burn through all my weapons to do it and then go off and make find a load more weapons so i can do the next one it's just you're right i'd much rather have a fleshed out dungeon than 10 shrines where you just do the same thing over and over again yeah so no i'm not impressed with the direction zelda's gone i can see the merits of it but also it doesn't appeal to me as much and i, I don't get me wrong i love a good open world game I think open world games are perfect for things like Skyrim and Fallout and GTA and games like that where it's legitimately fun to just do nothing for an hour and just explore. But in these Zelda games, for me, that I wasn't enjoying that aspect. And maybe it is because the weapons break and I just constantly felt like I was farming new weapons or figuring out areas that I could or couldn't go in because I don't have resistance to cold or I can't climb quite high enough to get to one of them and... Yeah, it was all that kind of thing for me that just put me off. And I think, I mean, I derided, coming back to it again, Atomic Heart, because it wasn't open world enough. 
and it felt very linear in the sort of hour and a half I played it. But that's a game that would lend itself really well to be an open world and just going around and figuring it out yourself. Zelda, I don't think it should be. I think it should be, like you say, tight yeah. and telling you. You're following the beats of the game as it wants you to, so you get that storyline progression. It's not that you're going off to fight boss four first and then you don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And and because of that aspect of it where you can go and fight any of the four bosses in whatever order, for example, you can't have that tight storyline because you don't know what route people are going to take. So you've got to keep it really generic and light because they could tackle it in any order. And I just, yeah, I'd much rather have it not hold my hand, but I know where I need to go next and I know what I need to do next to progress. And I think it lost a lot of that in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, um, I think a lot can be said for Zelda about the supporting cast as well. So you do get a lot of fleshed out backstories, even in games as far back as Majora and Ocarina you got those nice little asides where you could take on a little side quest for somebody. And there are side quests in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, but they're just so painfully generic mm. that you've just that you no affiliation or attachment to the characters. There are people that are being introduced to me now in Tears of the Kingdom that were from Breath of the Wild, and I have no recollection of whether I met them in Breath of the Wild or not. <laughs> yeah. The only two characters I remember from Breath of the Wild are the builder who wants you to collect a load of lumber yep. in the first like town, and the person you meet up on the top of that hill in that like laboratory or observatory or whatever it is. Yeah. And I don't know either of the names, but they're the only two characters I think. If I think of Breath of the Wild, they're the only two that really stick out as these are permanent characters that have a little bit of backstory or something to them. Other than the Korok leader or whatever he is. But oh, yeah. I don't have much time for him. With his maracas. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think we've we've slated Zelda enough there. Yeah. But that, that was the other thing I was just going to mention as well. Oracle of Ages got a perfect 10 out of 10 from IGN. Now I know that doesn't mean that much uh, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> but you'd think that a Game Boy game, Zelda, getting 10 out of 10 would be a good shout for it to be in this 100 games, given how many other Zelda games are in it. But it, it isn't. It doesn't feature anywhere. Yeah. Um, I think those two as well were developed by Capcom. They weren't... Yeah, um, yeah they were. They weren't um, solely Nintendo. So, I mean, they were very, very faithful to the source material, um, at mm. least. Um, and they didn't have you punching boulders and stuff like that, a.k.a. Resi 5. <laughs> um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that they were 10 out of 10 games, really. There, there's a lot to be desired with them. The story's a little bit obtuse sometimes, and you can find yourself in a position where you haven't got the sodding first clue where to go next. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm in that but, position now with it. I don't know who I'm meant to be going to see, but I need to find someone to get something to progress, and I just don't know where it is. So I'm just running around the villages, going in each house, being like, I've been in here, I've been in here, I've been in here, it's not this place. But the the one thing that did make me laugh about it was the the first character you meet in it is... Oh, I can't remember her name, but she's in a lot of other Zelda games under one guise or another, and it's usually like the Zelda's assistant or like the the, the heroine's assistant. I can't remember what she's called. Impa. It might be Impa, yeah, but when you first meet her in Oracle of Ages, she looks like a bloated corpse. 
because it's like it's Game Boy Color screen and Game Boy Color graphics, so there's not much detail. But she's like everything else is the color you'd expect a tree to be green. You're sort of dressed in Link colors with like pink skin and green hat, and then she's just like dark blue, and she just looks. I was like, is this woman all right? Because she she does not look in a good way. And then it turns out, like, seconds later, she's been possessed by this evil thing that jumps out of her. And then she looks normal again. I was like, oh, well, to be fair, credit to him, because I knew something was up with her as soon as I saw her. So they they got that nailed on. But, yeah, it's not a bad game. I'm enjoying it. I'm just... I don't know how it passed me by, to be honest, when it first came out. I don't think there was much fanfare. I've noticed Tingles in it. I've seen him floating around. So maybe that's why. Yeah, less said about him, the better. I feel like we could do a full episode on Tingle. <laughs> if you really wanted to. I don't think we'd maintain the uh, listenership. I think, I think we'd be <laughs> abandoned it, in droves. If it, if it comes down to a full episode on Tingle or Shenmue, which route are you going? I'd, I'd, it'll have to be Shenmue. Because I've, I've got I've got vaguely positive things to say about Shenmue in some respects. <laughs> I have nothing positive to say about Tingle. Right then, I think we've we've said as much as we can this week. We've we've laid into Zelda quite a bit, rightfully so. We've covered off another four in the list, moving towards our goal of not being married to this this list anymore that we we've shackled ourselves to. So um, we don't know what we're doing for the next episode. We've not thought that far ahead because we planned these three in quick succession, didn't we? The last three, yeah. and we've we've not thought about the next one. So we will we will take to the book, have a study, and leave you hanging on what it's going to be. Uh, so that just leaves me to do the shout outs once again. Thank you to the sweaty llama, and thank you once again to Lee. Uh, if you are interested in backing our our podcast and helping us out a little bit patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers. You can go there and sign up to one of the many tiers we now offer and get your name included potentially in the next episode if, if you'd like to. Everything we get, we're so appreciative of. It, it really does help cover the cost and, and give us that affirmation that it is worth us doing this because as much as we're enjoying it, we also want to know that it's it's making other people happy as well, I suppose, is the, the right way to look at it. And, and from the feedback we've been getting, I think it is so brilliant. But yeah, other than that, I think the only thing left to say is that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.